Hello, I'm Evans Mirages, the Harry T. Wilkes Artistic Director. On this podcast, we'll be talking to Constance Grubbs, who is a stage manager for Cincinnati Opera and who's chosen to make her life in Cincinnati after a whirlwind career stage managing all over the United States. We're going to be talking to her about how she is sort of the soprano whisperer, part psychologist, part field marshal, part corgi dog, in this amazing profession of being a stage manager and how we keep it all on the rails during the course of rehearsals and performances. Connie, we're here to talk with you about the this amazing profession that you have chosen or has chosen you. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to start with perhaps... Hmm, a recollection from you as to how you were first exposed to opera. Sure. Um, I was always interested in music, sang in choir in high school, uh, went to college to become a music teacher. It's what I loved about high school and, and growing up, and so I wanted to teach choir. That's what I spent all my time in high school doing. Uh, I went to Rutgers University, Mason Girls School of the Arts there, and got my degree in music education. But while there, I took an opera class. Uh-huh. And as a sophomore light lyric soprano, there were, we were doing two very small operas, and there was no role for me. Um, and I had to participate in the opera to get my credits for the class. So <laughs> I, they stuck me backstage. And I had had some experience stage managing in high school, but that's a very different beast. Um, and I, I had the experience, and I loved it. And um, I took the stage management course at Mason Gross School of the Arts the next semester. Um, and then I had an opportunity to go to a little tiny village south of Munich called Humbach in Germany. And uh, I, I, quote, stage managed um, a sm- tiny opera there. And it was a converted barn, an amazing experience, and I absolutely loved it. And when I came back, I kind of reevaluated, and I was very close, close to graduating, student teaching. And I decided I wasn't ready to be a school teacher and wear those fuzzy sweaters with apples hanging off of them quite yet. <laughs> and I wanted to go to more school, because what do you do when you're not sure you go to more school? Um, (laughs) So I went to grad school here in Cincinnati at CCM and got my master's in stage management um, with their program, which is an amazing program. I showed up here as a sponge. I knew, I I, I didn't know what a batten was, and I know some people in the audience probably don't know what that is. Um, They're pipes that bring scenery in and out um, of shows and theater spaces. I didn't know what that was when I started uh, the program there, so I just soaked everything up like a sponge. And I think that's how you have to approach new endeavors like that. Uh, And was pretty successful there. And then interned at Cincinnati Opera in 2002. And the rest is history. So So I think if anybody has an image of a stage manager, it's probably from an old movie where you have someone at some enormous control console backstage, usually a man, Mm -hmm. cigar chomping, screaming, you know, (laughs) Miss So-and-so to the stage. Tell us a little bit about what a stage manager does in general Mm -hmm. and maybe specifically how it's different, let's say, in opera from a regular play. Sure. Um, So what I do is I I like to see myself sort of as a shepherd in a way. Um, A lot of people liken it to the hub of a wheel. I kind of think of it more like a water wheel. Information kind of goes through us, maybe changes a little bit. I mean, we we don't take – we interpret the notes Uh, It's a challenge to interpret an artistic designer note to a technician. So we kind of have to reinterpret what that means for a technician backstage. Um, So we shepherd the process from through the rehearsal process and the conception of the of the piece all the way through the the final product that you see on stage. And we're there every step of the way. 
Um, we show up about five days before we start rehearsals. Um, sometimes, uh, and the design process has started well before that. If it's a new production, the set is designed, and we start with ground plans and you know a prop list, and we make sure that they have everything they need in rehearsal. We tape out the floor. Um, and then backstage, you, you mentioned the console. There is still a big giant thing called the stage management console. And it has cue lights on it that um, we flick on and off to help the scenery change. We're on headsets telling the technicians when to take lighting cues and spot cues and all of those things. And Frida, there's projections as well. Um, and yeah, so we kind of take it through that entire process. Uh, as an assistant stage manager, what's very different for opera than for theater as an assistant stage manager, there's one on either side of the stage, and they tell the opera singers when to enter the stage. This is extremely different from musical theater or theater. And if you've ever worked, we get assistants sometimes that haven't done opera before, and this is very foreign to them. Because there um, is no such person in musical theater? Absolutely not. They, the artists, you're on your own. You're on your own. As an artist, you're on your own. You know your track. Um, you do you do your thing. Nobody tells you where to go, what to do, how to enter stage, what costume to wear, none of that. Um, the reason that we've hypothesized as stage managers about why this tradition exists in opera, we think it's because if you're a soprano and you sing Tosca at the Met, and it's a different production than when you sing it at the Lyric, you, you, have, you know your role by heart, but you don't know that particular set, that particular production, when you're supposed to change costume for that particular production. So we're there to help them with that. Um, huh. And we, we think that's where the tradition comes from. I mean, it must, I, we suppose. Because you don't, you know, if you're, if you're an actor, you don't do the same role over and over again in different places. But with a, as an opera singer, you learn a role and you do it in many different cities, many different theaters, different versions of that particular opera. Mm -hmm. So um, that's very different from musical theater. At your command center, which does not look like the Millennium Falcon, but no. it does. <laughs> it's actually very old-fashioned in some ways. Mm -hmm. You said you have a series of lights that you flick on and off. Mm -hmm. where, where do the lights illuminate, and what are they saying to the person who sees them? Gotcha. So um, we have, uh, right now for Frida, I have four cue lights for the technicians and one in the pit. So the one in the pit I flick on when the orchestra is supposed to tune, and that kind of gets them ready to go, and that's the start of the show, right? The orchestra tunes, everyone's quiet. Um, and then the other lights, I have two cue lights on the rail, which tells the um, technicians backstage when to bring in and out particular scenery. So when I flick the light on, that's their standby. They get ready to do to execute their cue. And when I flick the light off, that's when the cue executes. So that's when the scenery comes in or out. Um, that's when the panel opens or closes before the RP screen. That's when the um, triangular set piece in Frida will spin. So there, I'm sitting back there making sure all those things happen at the right time with those cue lights. That's really low tech, isn't it? Compared yeah, it's to some fairly simple. <laughs> so it also sounds a little bit like one of those high school experiments with rats in a maze. <laughs> <laughs> Flick the light on, they get the food. Flick the mm -hmm. light off, they don't get the food. Now, you also explained another theater term earlier about what a baton is. Mm -hmm. What is a rail? What is What are the people on the rail doing? The rail is a series of ropes, and they are attached to pipes or battens that are hung above the stage. We hang different scenery elements on them. Most of them have to be pretty flat. So even when you see the chandelier and Frida come in, from the audience's perspective, it looks like it has a lot of depth to it. But it's fooling your eye because it needs to fit between all these other ropes and lighting instruments up uh, up above the stage. And they pull the ropes. Uh, one, one direction brings the scenery in. One direction brings the scenery out. We've talked a little bit now about what your responsibilities are during the actual performance. But you're present from the very first day of rehearsal in the rehearsal room, which is not on the stage usually. Uh, it's a room that has the dimensions of the stage. 
indicated on the floor with a series of colored tapes so that performers know approximately where they're going to be when they get to the stage. Maybe sometimes you have a little bit of the set or a suggestion of the set if it has more than one level, some props, some elements of costume if people have to wear capes. In other words, there's certain rudiments in the rehearsal process and let's say the 10 days or so that we're in a room rehearsal with just piano and the singers and maestro and the director and you and your team. But what does the stage manager do during the rehearsal process, that sort of time in the kitchen when it's all being cooked? Mm-hmm. Well, before we cook, we have the recipe, which is, I guess, the, the if it's a production we've done before, we get a piece of paperwork called the who, what, where. And we also who, get what, where. a who, what, where. Yes, this is a giant document that says approximately what time and when in the score a particular character enters or exits the stage, what costume they're wearing, and what prop they have in their hand. And it's sometimes the one for Frida's, I think it's over 20 pages long. Wow. Um, yeah, it's Tightly a lot. spaced, single yeah. spaced pages. <laughs> 8. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a massive amount of information. So before we get into the rehearsal room, we translate that. If the production's been done before, we translate that into our scores. Uh, we make sure that the artists know when they exit. So we throw those cues. The ASMs on either side of the stage will give those cues to the artists in rehearsal mm-hmm. so that, A, we get to practice those in rehearsal, and, B, the artists you know, know that they can count on us. We all know when their entrance is. Um, we, we tape out the floor. So we're the ones that do that colored tape on the floor. And as the stage manager, I sit behind the tech table. I um, help facilitate, um, let the conductor know where we're starting from between the director and the conductor and the pianist, calling out page numbers. Uh, We do some of that. I call um, rail cues in rehearsal. So if there's a chandelier coming in, I shout chandelier really loudly so that the artists know what to expect when they're entering the stage. It's, it would be I would imagine just kind of sort of discombobulating to be entering the stage and all of a sudden there's scenery coming in and you didn't know about it in the rehearsal process. So we do some of those things. Um, Keep time, call breaks, uh, and then keep a list of any notes that come up in rehearsal. For instance, if a singer breaks a chair, we make sure that that note gets to the props department so they can have that chair repaired for the next time we use it. Or if the, oh, let's see, let's say the cup needs to be a different color because it's too bright. We take that note and we make sure that the cup is the correct color, that the designer and the director have agreed upon, um, things like that. So it's macro, moderate, and micro all at the same time. You're, You're stage managing. You're not only just helping people get from point A to point B, but you're like this giant eye that looks over every aspect of the production vertically and horizontally at the same time. Yes. we. I often use the metaphor the forest and the trees. So some people are very tree-focused. Some people are very forest-focused. And as a stage manager, you really need to have both. So in the very first rehearsal for an opera, it is usually the singers and the conductor and mm-hmm. the director uh, sitting in a circle in a room, and a pianist plays the score The conductor goes to the score with all the singers to understand what their preferences are, maybe to express some of his own desires musically, just to get the notes. And during that rehearsal, I'm always fond of saying it's a combination of schoolroom and barnyard. (laughs) Because the schoolroom part, of course, is that everybody wants to be on their best behavior and please teacher and all of that. The barnyard is, of course, is everybody looking around and saying, oh, so let's see, is he bigger? Is he smaller? Is he better? (laughs) Is she worse? It's It's a very interesting atmosphere. So the conductor is, as it were, sizing up the musical gifts of the performers and what he or she needs to understand about how to get them to do their best work. Do you do a similar thing of your own at the first 
couple of staging rehearsals to say, okay, oh boy, that tenor, he's going to need a lot of help <laughs> because he comes off stage and he says, what's my next move? Or that guy, he's really smart or she knows this role cold. I mean, what are the mm-hmm. assessments that you are making of the singers as you get into those first rehearsals? Well, we always know, we always notice who's late. <laughs> That's the first That's thing obvious. as a stage manager that you always notice. <laughs> and that is pretty indicative of whether or not that person is going to need a little extra help along the way. Um, we also try and set the tone in the room to be an atmosphere of support but and professionalism, but also a relaxed, fun atmosphere. Nobody wants to go to work and, you know, when it's, you know, it's really strict. And this is what we do is a lot of fun and it needs to maintain that way, but still get the work done. Mm. Um, so there's a little bit of that happening. Um, you know, when, when singers miss entrances or um, need a lot of help to figure out when their next move is. We 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 have an eye to that. Some mm. some artists don't need much help at all. They just need a little bit of support. Some as soon as they come off stage, you need to say, "This is where your costume changes," and this says how long until your next entrance. And then when they come to you for their next entrance, you say, "Do you have that check in your pocket, or do you have that cigarette behind your ear?" You know, you really have to check them sometimes. And we're the we're like the last stop before they hit the hit the stage and the audience sees them. So we're always there making sure that they look the way they're supposed to look, have the right items in their hands. Because if someone's missing a major prop or they're not wearing their headpiece that someone makes reference to, that's not good. Boy, <laughs> is this the perfect training for parenting or what? <laughs> Every <Yes. laughs> prospective parent, male or female, should be a stage manager for a couple of months to learn what they're going to have to be doing, you know? That and wait tables. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, something that always fascinates me about what stage managers do is chorus rehearsals. Mm. So rehearsals uh, now, Frida, the show you're working on right now, doesn't have a chorus. It has an ensemble that acts like a chorus. But I've seen you work on big chorus shows. Mm-hmm. And talk a little bit about what are the particular challenges of rehearsing with a chorus. Sometimes it can be a, another 60 people in the room. Well, and 60 people is already you're at a space issue. So where do we put 60 people? And we work under a union contract, and we have to have 60 chairs for those 60 bottoms to sit in. So you know, right there we're dealing with a space issue. So if you're in a smallish rehearsal hall, you've got 60 chorus members. You have maybe eight principals. If there's dancers, that you have to add them into the mix. So and all the props in the room and a rehearsal wardrobe rack. So right there, that's already a challenge. Then you have a volume issue. So oh, 60 course. people make a lot of make noise. A lot of noise. <laughs> so you develop, you know, it's a good thing I was a singer initially because I, I managed to make cut over that sometimes and project what we need to say to them. Yeah, I've, I've heard your stage manager voice. It's mm-hmm. both forceful and kind. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> sometimes I've heard a couple of stage managers, male and female, with a voice that would shatter glass. Yeah. With no, no offense to my fair lady. but. <laughs> So you so that's okay so you have to you have to accommodate them physically you have mm-hmm. to be able to communicate them but what's the what's the mass chorus psychology like what are you, what are you dealing with when you have a chorus in the room um it a lot of it depends on how adept the director is at working with the chorus mm. so a smart director will set the chorus on stage first where they want them to be and then go to their entrances and exits so have them exit where they want them to enter you kind of work backwards in a way and then that gives us a chance to write down their names very quickly and figure out who's where and when they come in. And then from there, when they enter, it's they know where they're headed. So that already puts us in a more successful place. Um, if that is not the case, it's a lot more scrambling around. Um, 
you know, if there's soldiers entering in Carmen, we know they all get a gun, you know. So there are things that we know and, and we try and organize ourselves in a way that helps the rehearsal process move forward smoothly. And my our goal is to never have anyone waiting on us. Hmm. So if, if if people are waiting on the stage management to make sure that the people have the right things or they're on the, in the right places, then that's not ideal. Um, we don't want to waste any rehearsal time on us. Uh, we also know that we'll get it eventually. <laughs> so that's why they call it rehearsal, right? Yeah, <laughs> you can repeat so, it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, it's it's just a wise management issue um, mm. in dealing with with that many people in the room. Um, and we always, whenever we have a chorus rehearsal coming up, we always make sure our ducks are in a row. We are well fed. <laughs> We're in a mental place that we are ready to handle those sixty additional people in the room. And uh, in a way, it's we're sort of we sort of gird our loins as stage yeah, managers. We're course. like, okay, chorus rehearsal tonight. You were on your A game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. Now, in a chorus rehearsal, also you've got a dynamic that I found fascinating uh, watching some directors, which is, and I've seen some stage managers do this, that in the first couple of rehearsals with the chorus, everybody is asked to wear a lanyard with their name on a plastic sleeve, mm-hmm. so that the the director can say. Joe, yes, Joe, up there with a the blue shirt on, would you please move a little bit to the left? Or Susan, would you come down stage right just a little bit? Mm-hmm. But what astonishes me sometimes is that within a rehearsal, maximum maybe two, a lot of directors and a lot of stage managers have committed the names of the choristers to memory. Is there a particular trick to that? For me, it comes with typing their names. Uh, uh, I'm a very visual kinesthetic learner. Uh, if you say their names to me, I won't get it. But if I see them and if I've typed it, I tend to remember them better. I know that's really odd. No, um, it's, so, a, it's a memory trick like yeah, any memory trick. Yeah, so, and, and it's, it, some of them we know already. That's a lot of the choristers we've had year after year. Mm-hmm. So some of them we, we've known for years. Um, and the new ones, you just kind of pick up as you go. Well, and I find it so fascinating because, of course, when you call someone by name, you get their attention in a way that you don't say, uh, soprano one over there in the blue dress. Right. Uh, and it, it is a bit of a trick. But I find I find that kind of psychology fascinating in, in the whole rehearsal process. And I'm wondering if um, if you have um, any tips for uh, a budding stage manager in terms of uh, should they have a psychology degree? <laughs> <laughs> I will say uh, I think s- a lot of stage management you can learn, and I think a lot of it is innate. You're either born a stage manager or you're not. You either have those skills or you don't. Some of them you can develop. You can develop paperwork skills, for instance. Mm-hmm. But some of some of the skills are just in you, dealing with multiple personalities. You know, we we handle all we touch base with almost everybody in an opera production, from the principal soprano who needs maybe a lot of coddling and the director who's in charge and the pianist, the chorus members, the supers who are volunteers. I mean. Supernumeraries. We, I mean, what we used to call yeah. spear carriers. Yeah. Right. And, they, yeah. and they're volunteers. They're mostly members of the community uh-huh. or maybe aspiring young actors who aren't singers, mm-hmm. and they want to be part of the show. But right. they're not pros. No. Yeah. It, and, and helping them figure out, you know, if you say to the soprano, you know, head down stage right, that's where your exit is, she'll know exactly what you're talking about. If you say that to a super who's a volunteer, you need to make sure that they know where that is, and you need to know who you're talking to and who you're dealing with at at any given point. And I, I have different ways of talking to people for the different jobs that they do and what what their knowledge level is in the production. And um, yeah, it's 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 sort of just kind of what I've developed as mm-hmm. through experience. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't know. It was never taught to me. I just 
I just do it. I don't mm. I don't know how to describe it. Well, and our production manager, Glenn Plott, has a wonderful line about children and animals are best painted <laughs> on the scenery. Yes. But unfortunately, a stage manager has to sometimes deal with both. T- talk a little bit about what's it like dealing with kid- kids in the room and maybe even animals from time to time. Mm. Do you mm. have any particularly wonderful horror stories? You know, I don't know that I've actually personally done animals, although we had birds and something a long time ago, mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> and in fact... Um, so you haven't worked on an Aida here. No. <laughs> I thank my lucky stars. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know that we used to have a, a gentleman who worked the rail, Artie, who was terrified of birds, oh. any and all birds. And there was one show where we had a raptor. I think it was an Aida, though. Mm-hmm. I didn't work on that particular show, but we had to keep the raptor and Artie well away from each other. Um, and he, he was the head man on the, he was the head flyman, so he was the guy in charge of the rail at the time. And um, he he was not a bird fan. So what about working keep... with kids? So kids, I, I love kids. I get along great with kids. I do I do kids great. Uh, <laughs> but you happen to have a couple of wonderful ones of your own. So. Yes, I do. Yeah, they're precious. Um, so the challenges with the children, there are laws that they have to dress separately. So sometimes, again, space is always an issue when you're dealing with huge casts. So um, they have to have separate dressing rooms and separate places to change their clothing. Um, and they're, a lot of times the kids come with a grown-up. So mm. if it's like a children's chorus, they'll come with a grown-up, which is great. It's always helpful to have sort of a child wrangler. <laughs> if they don't come with a grown-up, we always request that somebody takes charge of them that is not on the stage management staff. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's our intern. Uh, sometimes it, it comes from the production department. Sometimes the artistic department. It just kind of depends on who has the free time. Um, but they do require an extra um, thought process in terms of where they dress, who's in charge of them, um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. And for instance, with Frida, we have um, a Mexican. We have me- three Mexican folk dancers, and one of them is a child. So we've uh, that Frida in particular doesn't have a G rating. Uh, to put it mildly. Yeah, it's for adults. So, yeah, definitely an, a sure. grown-up show. Um, so we've had to be very careful to keep her away from elements that, you know, she shouldn't be exposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So there are two kinds of kids. There are kids who are supernumeraries, mm-hmm. who are, you know, running around the stage and and filling out the scene with that wonderful energy that kids have. And then there are child singers. Mm -hmm. So either a boy choir or a mixed choir of boys and girls. And in our production of Bohème, of course, we have both. We have kids who are part of the scene. Mm -hmm. And then we have members of the Cincinnati Boy Choir with one girl in it, Mm -hmm. by the way. Um, is there a difference between the two kinds of kids in terms of how you work with them? Are they are the singers more disciplined or just about the same? I mean, Not kids are kids. necessarily. Yeah, no, there's the, the discipline is the same across the board. I think they're usually pretty intimidated when they walk into a rehearsal hall and see all those grown-ups there. They're, they're already on their best behavior because they're mm-hmm. walking into a strange space. Mm-hmm. Um, we very rarely have issues with, quote, discipline issues with children um, in rehearsals. Um, so all those horror stories about child stars are really more for Broadway and for the movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Poor them. No. <laughs> um, and with this, when it's a child super, um, Laura Sabo, who's our current super captain, she'll be in charge of sort of shepherding them. Um, and with with the, for instance, with Cincinnati Boy Choir, their director sort of shepherds them around. And uh, in my experience, a lot of times the when it's a choir, they're more together. But if it's if you're a child super, you could be anywhere on stage, and you're usually assigned to a grown up. Mm-hmm. So like if you're doing a Carmen, usually the child super will be a particular. Chorister's 
quote, quote child. child in the show. Correct. So they're kind of given adults to sort of hang out near, mm-hmm. um, which is really helpful because uh, then they're, they kind of, you know, the, those grownups kind of like help them remember their blocking. And, you know, and they and it's so funny to see the relationships that develop between like onstage parents and kids. Um, it's the, the, you can tell that the, the, the grownups in the chorus really take it to heart. So sweet. Yeah. Um, speaking of taking it to heart, uh, yours is perhaps a not typical but somewhat common occurrence in our profession that here you come to Cincinnati to work and eventually you wind up living in Cincinnati, marrying a, someone else here in Cincinnati, happens to be, be a member of Cincinnati Ballet. How did that all evolve? I mean, was was Zach, your husband's name Zach? He and is, He yes. is a former principal dancer with Cincinnati Ballet, mm-hmm. now on the staff and teaching and choreographing and whatnot. Yes. Right? He's made that transition. Yes. Um, so did you meet at a show? We met the very first day of the dancers were called to the Nixon and China rehearsals. So here that's at back in 2007. Opera. 2007. Right. Um, the stagehands, actually Kim, uh, one of the prop stagehands, said, oh, I've got this guy you've got to meet. And I was like, okay, Kim, like, tell me about him. Well, he's a dancer. And I was like, I'm not interested. Nope, no way. <laughs> and um, <laughs> come to lay eyes on him. And I was like, well, maybe I'm interested. Um <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, we met. Uh, he was dancing in Nixon in China, and uh, that's where we met. We met right outside of the large rehearsal hall in Music Hall. And the rest, as they say, is history. Indeed, When yeah. did you get married? Uh, we got married in 2010. He proposed at Music Hall in 2009 during oh. the annual Brat Fry at oh Cincinnati Oh, my gosh. Opera. <laughs> yeah, he brought a bottle of wine to the Brat Fry, so I knew something was up. <laughs> I was like, mm. How very Cincinnati, not to sort of be in some great Sylvan Park setting in a, you know, with, a, with a picnic and whatnot, but mm-hmm. the Cincinnati Opera Brat Fry. We should probably yep. explain to our listeners, this is something <laughs> that our wonderful uh, lighting director, Thomas Hasse, does. Every year for the entire company, everybody, Thomas Hasse imports hundreds of bratwursts, if not thousands, if not thousands, <laughs> and the buns to put them on yes. from a special bakery and, and butcher shop in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And he takes over the loading dock and dons a smock and goggles and sets up his barbecue and cooks day through the night. Mm-hmm. Thousands of yeah. bratwursts and hamburgers for for our staff. It's very informal, of course. Oh yeah, it's you know it's potato chips and potato salad, and everybody is casual. And for me, it's one of the wonderful things about Cincinnati Opera Absolutely. is that we're a family, mm-hmm. and that's our family picnic. It just happens to be in a loading dock and not right. a, not in Eden Park. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he proposed to you at the how elegant. Yes, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you did say yes. I sure did. Yeah. So. Um, one of the things for me that is fascinating about uh, these relationships where two artists are in a family, um, obviously when you first got married, Zach was still dancing regularly. You yes. were pursuing your stage management career, mm-hmm. mostly here, or were, did you have that itinerant time where you would go and work at, in Florida or Nebraska or, or Chicago or New York? Yeah, so my career path, um, I interned here in 02. I worked here every summer until I graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, Worked in Atlanta, worked, it was in New York for two years with the Chamber Music Society, which was great. Um, and I met Zach after having spent the season in Flor- at Florida Grand Opera. Uh-huh. I met him that summer. And I already had my next gig lined up at Washington National Opera. So we had a long distance relationship for that year. 
And towards the end of that contract, I said, you know, I'm, I think I'm going to move to Cincinnati and, and be with Zach. I think that's I think that's what I want to do. There's plenty of theaters in town. I can probably work just locally or I can gig out, you know, whatever I need to do. And then I got offered a job at the Lyric Opera of Chicago and I Ooh. could not turn that down. That's what was on my like list of places I definitely wanted to it's work. It's a bucket list place. Yeah, for sure. sure. Um, so I spent a season there. And again, at the end of that season, I was like, you know what? I'm I'm going to I'm going to do it. I want a house. I want to grow a garden. Um, you know, and I wanted to be someplace that was home mm. and that was here. That was in Cincinnati with Zach. So I did it. And then I, there was a couple of years where I worked in Knoxville. I worked in Austin. I worked a couple different places, but every summer back here at Cincinnati Opera. And, um, and then we had, then we got married and then we had kids. So that kept me home and not gigging out, which is perfectly fine. I'm really happy here. So so how do you find that work-life balance? Because now Zach is not dancing regularly now, but mm-hmm. he's, he is an integral part of the future of Cincinnati Ballet. You, particularly when you're stage managing, those are long and crazy hours. Yes. How do you guys do the work-life balance, the work-life kid balance? Yes. <laughs> um, my parents moved here when I was pregnant with my daughter, Quincy, my oldest. She's six now. Um, so that is that has been a huge help for us. Mm-hmm. We have been incredibly fortunate that while I'm, I stay home with the kids throughout the most of the year. And when Zach was a professional dancer, their season runs August through May. Mm-hmm. And then the Cincinnati Opera season gears up May through July. So we were incredibly lucky that we were able to both work and stay home with the kids, taking turns at, as being the stay-at-home parent. Uh, now that he is the uh, head of the academy or the, the principal of the academy, that has changed a bit. So this is the first summer where we've had to really, really hard. It's figuring out the childcare situation. Um, for about two and a half weeks here, my parents have been watching the kids for most of, most days, which is we're incredibly grateful for. Um, I did call shows at Ensemble Theater Cincinnati for a while when the kids were really little. And we Zach and I were ships passing in the night. We would do kid and car swaps. Um, <laughs> you've never done a logic puzzle until you figured out how to get your kids and the cars with the car seat to the right place to the right parent who has to care for them. That That's the biggest logic puzzle we've ever had to deal with. So Makes calling Aida oh, a piece of cake, piece of right? Cake. Aida? No. <laughs> you know, this is one of the things that I'm always so impressed by is uh, our professional colleagues who have families. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, from time to time, singers who come to us, and they bring kids along. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, if they're fortunate enough, there is a nanny in tow, of course, to look after the kids. But for a performer on the road, uh, and I find this more with moms than with dads, of course, but uh, th- the ability to say you're singing Fidelio day and night, and you know, kinder are back at home in the in the rental apartment with the nanny and whatnot, and to be able to to switch that on and off mm-hmm. uh, is deeply, deeply impressive to me. I agree. Do your are your kids becoming show kids? Do they do, have they been exposed to theater and dance and opera well, yet? Well, let's see. Quincy's first birthday party was at the loading dock of the Aronoff. <laughs> at the <laughs> talk about growing table. up in a yeah. trunk, right? <laughs> so she, we had they, uh, Zach was performing in a show and. They, it was one of their tech rehearsals, and uh, they had cake on the picnic table at backstage at the Aronoff. <laughs> and that was her first birthday party. I mean, that was that was what we did. Um, so, yeah, they're, they've definitely grown up in and around the theater, um, both the ballet and the opera, and a little bit at ensemble theater as well. But, you um, know, I'd love for someone to do a psychological study someday about the kids, kids who grow up around adult performers mm-hmm. who are exposed to this incredible world that we are fortunate enough to live in. I... 
I'd lay even money that it helps them socialize better. I agree. I would agree with you. And that they are, that they begin at a very early age to be comfortable around adults mm-hmm. and to be comfortable in an atmosphere where there are a thousand things going on at the yep. same time and that it's kind of normal for them. Yeah. And, uh, and the theater is their – well, it's a dangerous place in some ways, but yes. theater is their <laughs> playground as yeah. well. Um, so I'm sure – as you have traveled around and you get to meet other stage managers and you were, you did your time of working in other companies, is there sort of a, f- a sorority and fraternity of stage managers? Do you all uh, do you, do you have a professional organization that you belong to? Uh, do you how do you, what's the world like of stage managers? Uh, I can only speak to the post Facebook world. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so. We a lot of us know each other. Um, we know each other around the country. Um, a lot of us bounce around for di- from different opera houses. So, and it's it's interesting that opera stage managers are very insular. I don't know many Broadway stage managers or huh. very touring. You know, many touring stage managers. There is some overlap, but um, opera stage managers, I feel like, is a, def- a definitely a, its own little niche. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do have a, a Facebook group, Opera Stage Management Jobs in Opera. So we share job postings and we share information. And do you share horror stories too? Of course. <laughs> of course we do. Um, you have to, you know, misery loves company sometimes. So no. <laughs> <laughs> misery loves miserable company, yeah, that's no. for sure. Um, no, but it's, you know, we, we, um, we always discuss, you know, I worked with so-and-so. They're really great. Um, the reason I ended up at the Lyric was because I put the word out to my friends, uh, my stage management buddies in opera, that I was probably not going back to Washington National, so there would be a job opening there. And it was all word of mouth. Um, wow. A friend of mine, um, my friend Chelsea, who is now um, at the PSM at Santa Fe, was in Boston production for a few stage years. manager. Yes, right? okay. yes, production yeah. stage. Sorry, no, the lingo. Um, she was. She told me that she had just turned on a job at the Lyric, and that I should reach out to them, and I did, and that's how it happened. So, you know, those those connections are incredibly valuable. So, when you agree to participate in an opera, and let's say it's an opera you haven't done before, or even more interesting, a brand new opera, mm, those are my favorite. You get a score, just like every member of the cast gets a score, mm-hmm. and stage manager, of course are obliged to know how to read music because that's your play script. Yes. If you don't know B-flat from E-flat and you don't know a quarter note rest from a fermata, then right. you're in big trouble. Rhythm's more important than notes for stage managers, but yes, absolutely. Fair <laughs> enough. So what's what's your process of learning a score, particularly the, something you haven't seen before? The first thing we do, um, we always see if there's a recording available. Sure. So it's great to be able to listen to it before we hit, um, hit the stage or hit rehearsals. Um, for the case of fellow travelers, that wasn't really necessarily possible. There wasn't a professional recording available for us. Um, we had MIDI files. So a lot of composers will compose a new piece and, and there'll be MIDI files. And they're, they kind of sound like video game soundtracks because <laughs> of the format. But it does help you get a feel for uh, the, the tempi and, and the, you know what the piece is, sort of the overall flow of it. Um, we also do timings. So we put uh, timings in our score. I like to do 15-second timings. <laughs> so every 15, 15 seconds, seconds can be a wor- uh, can be a lifetime in yeah. a show too. Oh gosh, yeah, for sure. Um, so every 15 seconds, I put a little check mark in my score, and then I go back and put in um, what what you know, do the math and figure out. Okay, that's 15, 30, 45, a minute, a minute, um, and that helps us figure out. You know, when you're looking at a page, a piece of a page of music, how fast or slow that music is going. Mm. Um, also, it tells us for our paperwork purposes, when we give paperwork to the crew, 
Oh, at five minutes into the show, you're going to do this. And then at eight minutes into the show, you do this. And then at eight minutes and 30 seconds, you have this move. So how many crew members is it going to take to achieve those goals backstage? So it kind of gives us a gauge of how much there is to do in the show within a certain time frame. The next thing we do with the score is I do I do a character scene breakdown. Um, if there's no assistant director, that's something that falls on our shoulders, which helps me learn the show immensely. Um, so we just figure out what page numbers the scenes take place, who is singing in them, who to do the stage directions say is on stage but maybe not singing. That's something you always have to kind of sleuth out because that's important information for us to know. Even if they don't have a vocal line, are they on stage? Um, and so we go, we do that and put tabs in our score so that we can quickly find, like if we know we're rehearsing scene, act one, scene three, we, you know, we always tab our score so we can quickly turn to where, wherever we need to be in the score. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much it. Three hole punched. We don't like to have things um, either loose or you know just in a, a binded score. Um, we we like to cut bindings off of scores, which makes Marcus cringe, but uh, <laughs> it makes it easier to run through the Xerox machine, uh, so we can three hole punch it and get it into our into our binders. If a layperson were to come backstage and stand next to you quietly and discreetly at your console, <laughs> they would see your musical score, which they would probably recognize. And then they would look at it probably and say, well, this looks like some mad college student cramming for an exam because there are green post-its here and yellow post-its there and blue post-its there. And sometimes there are three colors of post-it on the same measure. What's all that about? <laughs> uh, for me, those are my the cues I'm calling, either light cues, um, sometimes spot cues, projection cues rail cues, deck cues, all of those different things that happen, all the technical elements that need to happen at a particular time in the music for the show. Um, so that's what my that's what's in my score. I tend to pull out all the blocking post-its and all the entrances and exits as I as I add in the lighting cues. It just gets too busy for me. Um, on either side of the stage, the ASMs, the assistant stage managers, um, will have entrances and exits, and so-and-so goes here to change their costume. So all of that information, we follow along in the score in real time but in, within that score, it tells us what's happening technically during the show. So you're the nerve center for any show. And in some ways, it's a rather old-fashioned thing. You would think with all the technology that we have today that you wouldn't need someone standing in a central position backstage telling the lighting operator, like cue number 45, like cue number 46, or the rail operator to say it's mm-hmm. time to bring in, you know, the little house or something like that. It's somewhat old-fashioned. Well, I mean, I don't know how you could mecha- mechanize it. Um, ah. I think that there's, I personally believe there's a certain artistry to what I do in calling shows. Um, a lot of my cues are visual. So, you know, if a performer, let's say one night she crosses the stage on the third beat of the fourth measure of that page, I call a light cue that picks up light and helps us helps the audience see her as she moves. But if she does it slightly differently, a different time, you can't put it on a timer. You can't can trust a computer to watch her. What if she moves slower or faster? Like those are all elements that I watch for. On the rail, if there's a piece of scenery coming in, a computer's not going to stop that scenery if it's going about to hit a performer's head. So, you know, I'm there to make sure that all of that is in place. This is like parenting all over again. <laughs> Eyes in the back of your head. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always tell my ASMs and, and myself, you know, we have to have an eye everywhere. We have to have an eye on the stage, an eye on our scores, an eye on each other in the rehearsal hall. If I need to talk to, we don't have headsets in the rehearsal hall, and it, we can't shout across the room. So if I need to get in touch with one of my ASMs on the other side of the stage, you know, we always have to be watching each other, 
what's going on on stage, side-eyeing the director and the conductor to make sure that they're satisfied and pleased with what's happening in rehearsal. I mean, there's I we need like six eyes to do our job. <laughs> Have you ever had one of those scores where you had, let's say, a lighting cue, a rail cue, uh, something for your A. I mean, what's the greatest density that you've ever had in a score? I think the hardest sequence I've ever called was actually in grad school. Huh. And it prepped me enormously for the rest of the work I've done. Um, I always get a little nervous when I've got cue lights coming up because that moves big things, right? So the bigger the stuff, the more nervous I get. I mean, mm -hmm. not that it's nervous, but I'm just maybe a little anxious. Um but there are times where I have so many cues in a row that I'll have to set up my standby. So whenever I call a light cue or a projection cue, I set it up with a standby. So I'll say standby lights four through six, projection tab uh, red seven or whatever the case mm -hmm. is, whatever the the set is. And then if the if my execution of those cues is too close together, I'll say reminder standby lights four through six. Lights four will be my first G. My second G will be. Lights five. You won't get. You won't hear me say lights five. And I'll warn the board operator that that will happen every time. So it'll. I'll say lights four. Go, go. And they'll take two cues in a row like that. And you have to know that that's coming in order to set the board op up for success. So what we need to do is let NASA know that <laughs> if they're ever looking for people to help launch the next spaceship, they should actually turn to the stage management profession. You've got the skills, man. <laughs> <laughs> you may not have the science, but you yeah. certainly know how to. You certainly know how to get the rocket off the ground. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a while ago that uh, you made reference to a new work, Fellow Travelers. And if I recall rightly, you were the stage manager yes, for I Fellow was. Travelers. What's it like working on a brand new opera? And maybe reference Fellow Travelers a little bit as, your, as, a, as an example experience. I adore working on new opera, brand new, first time out of the box. Um, first of all, I don't, I don't love getting a who it where and putting the cues in my book because it's what somebody else did. I love seeing, seeing the process be created and brought to life right before our eyes, seeing those characters created for the first time. I mean, there's something really special about that. Hearing the music sung for the first time. I mean, that's that's stuff that you know you don't you don't get to experience stuff like that very often. Um, and I, I just love it uh, watching the creative process and and how the the set works with what the music is and, and all of it combined together. I mean, it just is a beautiful process. Um, it's also challenging because when you're remounting a production that we've done that people have done before they they know the challenges already you know what's going to happen in the show that that all has been sussed out already when you have a brand new production there's you know you don't know what the, you don't know what you don't know yet um, you don't you don't know the challenges yet so I, I adore working on new 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 pieces new productions talk a little bit about the atmosphere in the room for fellow travelers as the show was being developed what were, what are a couple of memories for you of that particular experience um, Wow, that's a really tough question. There's so many. Mm. Um, so it was wonderful having the composer and the librettist in the room. Usually sitting on the floor. Yeah, yeah, they were the, the Gregs. They were so they were so such wonderful people, so down to earth. Um, uh, having Sterling in the room, he he was the one of the producers of the show, was also incredibly valuable. Uh, that piece was also so meaty uh, and so timely. And and so important. I mean, that particular piece, that subject matter, was really is really near and dear to my heart. And just being in the room with a bunch of people who support that, um, those values and that mindset, it was was really special. Um, were there ever any moments where everyone had to simply take five because there was so much emotion in the room in a good way? Yeah, I mean there were there were tears in that room fairly often. Um, 
but it was never out of a place of frustration. It was always like, you know, it was the, it was beautiful or the subject. It was it's just hard. You know, those emotions are real and hard. Mm-hmm. So um, pretty raw, I mm-hmm. guess, would be a good word. And especially when you're doing a new piece, you've got the music, which is already emotive, the subject matter, which is already emotionally wrought. Um, yeah, it was it was an amazing process. And I feel really grateful to have been a part of it. Does a stage manager from time to time also have to be sort of, as it were, the soprano whisperer? Do you become the amateur, well, not so amateur because you're pr- pretty practiced at it now, psychologist for singers? Absolutely. Um, now, without ha- naming names. No, no, of course, I would never. It's <laughs> part of why it's, I'm so discreet. Um, it's, it's part of the job. Um, you know, if you see a performer have, struggling with a particular um, either a particular technical aspect or an emotional aspect, you know, it, we're we're there with tissues for them. You know, as an ASM, I always I always try and teach my ASMs, you know, if we stop during a tech rehearsal, be ready, walk out there with a cup of water and, and a tissue for that performer that's on stage. Um, they have a, an enormously difficult job. Singing opera, especially some of those lead opera roles, they're, they're very challenging. They're challenging physically, emotionally. Um, and so, you know, we, we try and be as supportive as we can be. Um, and that's that's a really important part of, of what we do. We we have to create and maintain a safe atmosphere for everyone involved, but most especially those people who are emotionally and physically taxed. For me, one of the most fascinating things about your job is the fact, as you mentioned early in our conversation, that a stage manager touches every aspect of a production, and he or she is like the hub mm-hmm. of a, a wheel because everything flows to and away from it. You are the nerve center, especially when the show gets on the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever had Have you ever had a show where during a performance it's simply gone completely south and you've had to say, <laughs> okay, take a deep breath. Let's see if we can get this show back <laughs> on the rails. I, I feel pretty grateful. I haven't had any really bad moments. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly not in opera. Um, we've had some, I've had some moments at Ensemble Theater and usually it's Usually by the time we're running shows, the show is pretty settled. Mm-hmm. Um, there aren't too many surprises, mm-hmm. the, but the unknown is always the audience, right? Yeah. So usually if we hold a show, it's usually for some sort of audience, uh, either a health issue or um, something like that. Um, I, I've been really fortunate we've never had a major hang-up during a performance on so the stage. Y- you spend almost all of your professional life behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. You're that hub, but not so long ago, you got to step out, as it were, in front of the stage, and you were featured on an HGTV program. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, goodness. That was Desperate Landscapes. And, <laughs> Which I love uh, it. It's sort of the, it's sort of the <laughs> Flora version of Desperate Housewives, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we own a home in Oakley, and um, in Oakley, uh, it's a neighborhood in Cincinnati, named for Annie Oakley, by the way. Mm-hmm. Which I adore, and uh, she was we, from here, if I remember. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, we own a very old house. It is, if originally this area, it's the corner of Madison and Edwards, where mm-hmm. that Shell station is, and that used to be the only roads that existed out there. Right. And we own a farmhouse that sits on a hill just behind that Shell station, which was the only house for miles around, I guess, when it was built. Wow. And ev- all of those houses were was farmland. Right. And so our house was really old and it needed a lot of work on the front of it. So we um, submitted a video for Desperate Landscapes with HGTV or the DIY network. And um, they came, they accepted our application. 
They usually they only do these things in one day. This needed two days. Oh no! It was really that awful. <laughs> it was really bad. <laughs> Looked um, like the Bates Motel. <laughs> oh, it was. Oh, it was special. Um, so the we used to have a wraparound porch there, and they just ripped the whole thing off and dug out. I was literally. I was. I honestly asked the people. I was like, "Is our house going to fall into the street? Because it was on a hill, and they took the deck away. And I don't know why I would think that the deck was holding up the house. Needless to say, the house didn't fall into the street, and we have a brand new, amazing front yard with two entries. It's a it's a duplex, so there's an upstairs and a downstairs. So now there's actually two entries into the house instead of one. Um, but they did an amazing job, and it was a lot of fun. And they interviewed you as well? They did, yes. So what was it like being talented as opposed to calling the shots? Um, you know, it's not my favorite place to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I much prefer working behind the scenes, but, uh, you know, we were getting a free front yard, so I was going to do whatever <laughs> I needed to do. Practicality wins out. Absolutely. Practicality yeah. it, it was, wins out. It was actually a lot of fun. Um, moving stones on camera was great. <laughs> you know, throughout our conversation, you've you've dropped this little hint or that little hint for uh, budding stage managers. But for someone wishing to enter our profession of making this wonderful, crazy art form of opera, mm-hmm. uh, do you have a couple general things that you would recommend to a, a budding stage manager? Um, never burn any bridges because mm. it's a very small world. Um, always work hard, but be kind. Um, I mean, I think kindness goes so far in what we do. Um, and, you know, that well, we talked about the forest and the trees mentality. That's that's really important. And, again, I don't know that that's a skill you can develop. Hmm. Or at least you have to be aware of it in yourself to be able to um, work the other version of yourself a little bit. Um, yeah, and, and make connections and make friends along the way. And, you know, because these same people will pop up again and again in your career. So um, I'm amazed yeah. as I travel around the country and see operas in other cities. I'll be at a cast party or some sort of a donor event. And a stage manager that I've known from here in Cincinnati these past 12 years will pop up. Mm-hmm. I, was, I just happened to be in Tulsa mm-hmm. a few weeks before our season began. And voila, one of our stage managers, who's actually here with us this summer, was there. I'll be in Santa Fe or something mm-hmm. like that. This, as you say, this is a bit of a small world. And... Um, and it seems to be one of the parts of our profession where women have had an easier, a slightly easier time of getting in than, let's say, in other parts of our profession. Anything in particular to cause that? I've met a lot of uh, you know, some male stage managers as well, but mm-hmm. I seem to, particularly in our world of opera, women rock in this position. <laughs> well, we just rock in general. <laughs> um, I think, I think that. Um, Gosh, that's a, that's an interesting question because this hasn't always been the case. No, it used to be a male-dominated profession, right. um, but it has it has shifted gears to become much more of a female-dominated, and especially in opera. I think that there's a certain um, mothering or mother hen aspect that we have as women in general that um, really helps this process and w- working with singers um, and just being able to work with different people across the board. I think uh, there's a certain um, mothering aspect that we just innately have that really is helpful. Yeah. It shows in the rehearsal room. I've, I'm have i always happy to be in a rehearsal room when I see a stage manager being so intuitive about the vibe in the mm-hmm. room. And so when I come into a rehearsal and I see something that is a little bit disconcerting, I don't go to the director. Mm-hmm. I go to the stage manager mm-hmm. first to find out because usually she will know exactly yeah. what the, where what it the came, temperature well, yeah, is. Yeah. Yep, where it and came I think we can all, we always be surprised. I, I'm remembering something. I don't recall if you worked on the Don Giovanni we did with Angela Mead. Yes, I did. Yeah. I think so. Was and, that, and there was yeah. a moment in rehearsal 
where uh, Angela lost her composure mm. uh, at a point, and nobody knew why exactly, but it, it came down to something that happened in her own life where that particular moment in the staging was so real mm-hmm. that it, it affected her very, very deeply. And that's the kind of thing a stage manager is so valuable for because they will comfort that person. Mm-hmm. They will provide that safe atmosphere. I think for me, one of the most telling things that I've learned in talking to you today, Connie, is that you're part psychologist, part field marshal, yeah. part Sherpa, <laughs> part corgi. I mean, yeah. you do all of those things in, in the course of a rehearsal but always at the service of the larger vision of the director, of the conductor, and e- equally important of the music itself. Mm-hmm. What a wonderful job. Oh, I love it. It's I wouldn't trade it for anything. Wow. You know, my, my dad always said, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Mm. And he couldn't be more right. So before we part company, I ask all our guests the same questions. Uh-oh. So, we, <laughs> so, our, so our listeners can have a, have, a, have a, they're all fun and silly questions. Okay, good. <laughs> what did you have for breakfast? I had a zone bar for breakfast. <laughs> That's stage manager food, right? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I ran out of time and didn't make myself my scrambled eggs. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know that particularly opera season is a crazy time, and uh, I go home usually and I get through maybe a page and a half before falling asleep. But are you reading a book lately and something that particularly fascinating you? I am reading something on my phone, which isn't my favorite. I much prefer real books. Mm. But I'm reading The Handmaid's Tale at the moment. We started this series on Hulu, and I've enjoyed it so far. Um, and I wanted to read. I always prefer reading to watching, so um, I wanted to pick it up and read it. When you do watch TV, is there something, a favorite or two that you do manage to find time for? I prefer things sort of escapism. So oh. Game of Thrones is a favorite. Um, scandal, you know, politically intriguing sort of things. The West Wing, uh, things like that. Yeah, I'm 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 addicted to uh, the, the that series with Kevin Spacey. So, yeah. oh. <laughs> I I, I, sh- <laughs> I I I admit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, although there's no time to watch it during opera season, that's for yeah, sure. That's yeah, absolutely. So you must have a smartphone. I do. Do you have an app or two on your phone that you find particularly useful? Like where are the kids? <laughs> for work or for life? Anything. Right? My calendar is the thing I use a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you study? in college that you would have liked to study more of? Or what's something in college that you wish you had studied and didn't get time to do? Something science-y and random, like um, huh. like ast- not astrology. That's the wrong word. <laughs> Astronomy. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, something like some, some sort of like bigger picture sort of thing uh, would have been really interesting and intriguing to me. Now, stage managers work all crazy hours. And stage managers who are moms even have less time. But when you and Zach have a night out, are there a couple of restaurants that you like to go to in Cincinnati? Oh, gosh. I love Mexican food. Um, and I always try and go to locally owned, um, you know, restaurants. We you know we're, we prefer not to do chains, but mm-hmm. Bakersfield is one of my favorites. And there's a great place in Newport called La Mexicana on Oh, Lamith. I've been. Oh, so good. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly when you're working on Frida, it seems to be a natural fix. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell me something you think is true that almost nobody agrees with you. Oh, my gosh. Um, that's a fascinatingly difficult question. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, allowed to t- you're allowed to ask for a pass. <laughs> I pass. I get, only get one? <laughs> can oh, no, I phone can a friend? Plenty of them. <laughs> Best career advice you've ever received? Hmm. Have fun. 
Yeah, we, I love what we do, and if it's not fun, why are we doing it, right? Exactly, because it's so hard, and it takes so many hours. Yeah. And the pay's not great either. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> do you have a favorite singer outside of the world of opera since you came into opera from theater and other genres? Hmm. No, I don't, you listen listen to to, I don't listen to a ton of um, music these days, but I have a few bands that I love. Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. I love that, that kind of um, the harmony and, you know, all that good meaty music again it has meaning behind it mm-hmm. yeah. and when I'm working and I'm working on like my book I like to listen to angry music like System of a Down and just like really uppy sort of angry music <laughs> <laughs> Sets, it, it allows you to become yeah yeah, yeah. Like in a weird way it does you've done a fair amount of travel yourself as a, as a stage manager and now probably a, a little bit more as a family um, do you have a travel tip or two that you always share with your colleagues to say, you know, when you when you get to your hotel or if you find yourself in a strange city, are there a couple things you've learned over the years that you like to pass on to friends? Um, unpack. Because <laughs> there's there's been yes. times where I've traveled and, you know, you're living out of your suitcase. You have to unpack and move into where you are. Be, be where you are. Live where you are. Well, that's the wonderful Martha Graham line. Be where you are when you are there. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. Focus on the moment. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Last two questions. Um, how do you deal with stress? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I, um, I've recently discovered CrossFit. So exercise, I think, is an, an amazing, is an amazing oh, yeah. tool. Um, and I, I always try to think of myself as a duck. I have, I have two sayings. Like, I'm a duck, so things roll off my back. And I'm always calm on the surface, even though my feet may be going a mile a minute underneath. And um, my <laughs> other one is, I've been yelled at by more important people than whoever's currently yelling at me or, or upset with me. In, in a work environment. Like if I upset my parents or my children or my husband, those are the relationships that really matter to me. Um, so yeah. The rest, of it, the rest of it is relative and, and keep it in perspective. Absolutely. Who, if you have one that you could single out, do you have a particularly important mentor that you remember and cherish? Um, Sue Ellen Childs was the um, head of the stage management department at CCM when I got there. Um, she was a great shepherd, but also knew that we needed to find our own way. So she wasn't always available to us, which I think was a very wise decision. Um, and she, she, was, uh, she was a great a great teacher in that way. Wow. Last but not least, uh, I'm sure a lot of people uh, who are hearing us today may be taking the leap into opera for the very first time, mm-hmm. maybe as a result of our conversation. Do you have a particular piece of advice for a first time opera goer, what to, what kind of a mindset to bring into the theater? Enjoy the ride and don't be afraid to close your eyes and soak in the music because, I mean, the music is is really the meaty, the good, the good part of opera, right? Thank you. Thank you, Connie, very, very much. Mm-hmm. My pleasure. My guest has been Constance Grubbs, uh, stage manager extraordinaire for Cincinnati <laughs> Opera. Thanks for listening. For more information about Cincinnati Opera, please go to cincinnatiopera.org and please do subscribe to this podcast. For Cincinnati Opera, I'm Evans Mirages. <laughs>